All right, well, good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome to Grace here at the Medina East Campus. We're so glad to have you here, and just a quick friendly reminder that we do have Saturday evening services as well, and uh, you will have ample seating there as well, and so that's uh, be a wonderful thing, but I do just want to say thanks so much for being uh, here together. It's great to see you here this morning. And also, like Seth mentioned just a moment ago, if you are a guest with us here today, we really, really, really just want to extend a very, very special welcome to you. Thanks so much for being our guest, and we hope that you feel welcomed. We hope that you got a chance to meet someone on your way in, and we hope you would stick around afterwards and uh, don't jet out too quick and maybe uh, get a chance to get to know some different people. I'll be out there. I'd love to get to know you uh, if, uh, if we can do that, and that would be a wonderful thing. But if you are a guest with us here today, I'm actually extremely excited. Not, not just because you're our guest, but also because you're joining us on an excellent weekend. And the reason for that is because today we're actually starting a brand new conversation, a brand new sermon series uh, that we're going to be in for the next several weeks that we are calling Resolve. And so the way things work around here is we basically uh, kind of pick a topic and we talk about it over the course of several weeks. It's sort of like one conversation over the course of several weeks. We call those sermon series. And so we're in a series, like I said, that we've entitled Resolve. And what we're going to be talking about in this series is conflict resolution. So we're going to be talking about is conflict resolution. And as some of you might be thinking right now, you might be thinking now, did you guys specifically and strategically place this series after the holidays because you knew that I just spent a bunch of time with my family and my in-laws? And the answer to that question is, uh, yeah, that's actually exactly what we were thinking. But the truth of the matter is, whether we do this series now or whether we do it later, uh, the reality is that this conversation about conflict is one uh, that is relevant at any time. In fact, one of the reasons I'm really excited about this series and one of the reasons that I believe that this series is so important is because the conversation of conflict resolution is immediately applicable to every single person in this room. Uh, no matter what age of life or what stage of life you're in, one of the things that's inevitable in every relationship that we face is that conflict will arise, right? And all of us know this, right? We're, we're all aware of this because nobody's the same Right? Everybody, everybody is different because we all have different temperaments and we all have different personalities. And because nobody's perfect, no one's perfect, right? That, that, that's going to result in the fact that whenever we get into the proximity of other human beings, we're going to smash into each other. Uh, we're going to smash into desires and, and, and different expectations and all of those things are going to show up. And conflict is just a natural byproduct of every relationship. It's unavoidable. Every stage, every age of life, every sphere of relationship, you know, whatever it is, every arena of relationships, conflict is going to arise. And so whether, for example, it is a roommate or a spouse who never seems to pick up after themselves, or it's a roommate or spouse who is way too particular, right? Uh, conflict is going to arise in these different arenas. It happens in friendships, whether it's a friend who is just overly sensitive and doesn't know how to take a joke, or it's the friend who always takes the joke too far. Uh, there's going to be conflict that's going to arise. In every, it happens in families. We're all aware of this, right? As, as, as minute as maybe that one family member at the Christmas gathering who, you know, the one, the one who has like, uh, like strong, so, uh, kind of like strong political opinions but weak social skills, you know what I'm talking about? So as, as minute as that, to as severe as maybe, maybe even for some of you, you know, over the Christmas holiday and over uh, the New Year's holiday with family gatherings, maybe for some of you, uh, there, there are relationships that you have been estranged from for a very long time. Maybe uh, brothers or sisters or in-laws that you haven't talked to 
in months, maybe years, because of uh, some blow up or some misunderstanding that happened a while back, and now there's a, and so it's just gonna show up in a lot of different ways, and I don't need to convince you of this. It's gonna show up in marriage, of course. Anyone who's married knows that. It's gonna show up in relationships, dating relationships, all of us know that. It's gonna show up in parenting. It's gonna show up in the workplace. Everywhere there are relationships, there will be conflict. It's gonna show up in, come on, let's be honest, it's gonna show up in church. It's gonna show up in life groups, because when you get people together, conflict is a natural kind of product of human relating. So because that's the case, um, the question then that we wanna investigate in this series is not how do we avoid conflict. That's actually not what we're investigating because what we just said is conflict is actually unavoidable. And so the real question then is this, how do we, how do we respond in conflict? When conflict arises, because it's going to, in our friendships, in our marriages, in our church, in our relationships, how are we gonna respond when conflict arises. And that's what we actually wanna spend the next several weeks looking at and talking about together. In fact, I thought that uh, as we introduce this topic, which by the way, today is just an introduction to this series, and, uh, and so my hope is to kind of whet your appetite and to kind of get us thinking on the same wavelength as we jump into the next several weeks. But I thought a great way to introduce this series might be to ask you a question. So I wanna ask you a question, and I want you to just think about this yourself, kind of self-analyze, self-assess your, yourself. And, that, and here's the question. Are you guys ready for it? Here it is. Okay, how do you respond to conflict? All right, so I just want you to think about this for a minute. Before we jump into this whole conversation about how to resolve conflict, let me just ask you, how do you tend to respond to conflict? Maybe another way to say it is, what is your knee-jerk reaction? Right? What's your gut response when conflict shows up in your relationships. And to help you think about this, I actually wanted to give you four different common categories of the way that people respond to conflict. So over the course of the last couple of months, I've actually had a really great opportunity to do a whole bunch of research and study on this topic. And what I have found is that you can pretty much consolidate conflict to four kind of primary responses. And so my question to you is how do you respond to conflict? So here's the first one. Maybe you're this person. The classic response to conflict for many, many people is that they respond with the traditional response of fight, fight. And so maybe for some of you, if I ask you, how do you naturally respond when conflict arises, you would say, man, I fight, I fight. If this is you, you would say, I'm not afraid of conflict, I don't avoid conflict, I'm not afraid to address the issue. I'm gonna go right in. And you're the kind of person that, man, when conflict arises in your relationships or your marriage or at work or whatever, your knee, your knee jerk reaction, kind of your impulse reaction is that, you know, your, your blood start, your blood pressure starts to rise and the adrenaline surge kind of starts to come up and you launch into attack mode, right? That's kind of your response. If this is you, chances are good that you're, you're probably the person where you will raise your voice in arguments. You'll find that your tone changes and that you, you, know, you start to get, you'll find that maybe if this is you, maybe you're the person who, who is really, really good at building a case and building an argument. And so when, when someone starts to, conflict starts to arise, you're like, oh, is this where we're going? All right, well, fine. Let, let me just tell you the three reasons why you're wrong and the 10 reasons why I'm right and the one reason that you're ugly. All right, and we'll tell you that right now. And maybe that's kind of your response. You're just a fighter. Like gloves come off and it's on. And that, that is kind of your response, right? And some of us respond this way. Now, my guess is if you're a person that would identify yourself this way, you would probably agree with me that this response to conflict has both an upside and a downside to it. And the upside is, and again, if this is your natural response, you'd probably agree. The upside is that you're not afraid of conflict. 
uh, that you don't sweep things under the rug, that you don't pretend like there's not an issue, that you'll actually confront it, which by the way, we're gonna talk about in the series that that's a really good thing. It's a really good thing. However, the downside to this, and again, if, if you identify this, you could probably agree, is that oftentimes you will find yourself responding in the heat of the moment emotionally, right? And so you might find yourself saying things that you regret. You might say, you might find yourself doing things that you regret. You might find yourself having to come back and apologize and, and find that you have unnecessarily hurt feelings or hurt someone in a way that's not constructive to helping find healing. And so for some of us, this is our response. Our response is fight. And our goal when conflict arises is to win, right? So that's some of us. Now, for many, many, many of us, in fact, I think many people fall into this category, the opposite of fight would be the second category. And of course, that's flight. Flight, right? And what is flight? Well, we all know what flight is, right? Flight is avoid, avoid. This is the person that says, I hate conflict. I don't, man, I can't stand it when conflict. This is the person, when conflict arises, their response is run, Forrest, run. Just get out, get away. And, and, and so this will, this will show itself, flight, it will show itself in many different ways. And so one of the ways that a person with this response will avoid is they will avoid physically. They will avoid people physically. And so, and so, for example, if you have conflict with a family member or a friend or whatever, you will distance yourself from that person. If they're on that side of the room, I'm going to be on this side of the room. And if they're talking in these you know, circles of friendships, I'm gonna talk in these circles of friendships. And I'm gonna silently block them on Facebook and, and kind of deal with it that way. And I'm just gonna avoid, I'm gonna avoid. If they, if, I, if they go to Grace Church and they go to the 515 service on Saturday, I'm gonna go to the 11 o'clock service on Sunday, right? And I'm just gonna avoid, I'm gonna distance myself, I'm gonna steer clear of that person. And we'll go to great lengths to avoid people in these ways. If we accidentally kind of happen to see that person in public that we're trying to avoid, suddenly we'll realize there's something very interesting on my phone that I need to look at right now. And... Um, and we avoid, we, we fly away from and avoid the, the different types of conflict. And if you're this person, my guess is that you would probably agree with me. There is an upside and there's a downside to this response. All right, what's the upside? Well, the upside is if you avoid conflict, what that usually means is it usually means that, that you're not looking for a fight. You know, some people, they're just, they're just always looking for a fight and they're just trying to stir up controversy. That's not you, you're not that person. So that, there's an upside to that. The downside, however, is this, and I think all of us know this, if all you do is continually avoid conflict, avoid conflict, avoid conflict, avoid conflict, and you never learn how to actually deal with conflict, what's gonna happen is you're actually susceptible to living a life on the run. And here's what I mean by that, right? So if your response when your friends hurt you or when they betray you or when conflict arises is just to say, you know what, forget them, I'll just get some new friends. That's your response. If your response is, you know, whenever in your marriage there's conflict or disagreements, it's just to avoid it, avoid it, avoid it, avoid it, avoid it, and just allow the relationship to grow cold. Or maybe for some of us, I'll just get a new relationship, I'll just get a new marriage, right? Or if our response is, man, I got trouble at church or trouble at my life group, so you know what? I'll just find a new church. So the problem is, if we continue to do that, we're susceptible to living a life on the run because here's what's gonna happen, and all of us know this, that when you get into that new relationship or when you get those new friends or when you get that new church, it's only a, a matter of time before conflict is gonna show up again because like we said, it's unavoidable. It's gonna come with us wherever we go. And so some of us fight, some of us flight. Here's the third one. I would say the third category is something I call appease, appease. 
For some of us, maybe we kind of identify with this. We would say that the way that we react and respond in conflict is that we are appeasers. What does it mean to be an appeaser? Well, an appeaser is basically someone who acquiesces, right? And so when there's conflict, this is the person that says, man, I just want everyone to get along and I don't want to upset the apple cart. And so whatever it takes, I'll just do it. I'll do it. And so for example, if there's a Let's just say something petty, like an argument about how to load the dishwasher, which I know married couples never have, right? But if you have this, uh, he does it this way, you do it, you're the person that says, oh, you know what, whatever, fine, I'll just do it your way, I'll do it your way. As long as it brings peace to this house, as long as everyone gets along, we're just gonna do it your way. Okay, that's what the appeaser does. And, and some of us would, would say that this is kind of how we respond naturally to conflict. Now, what's the plus side to this one? Well, I think the plus side is actually pretty strong on this. The plus side is that you're probably a person who is sensitive to the needs and the desires of other people. That's a wonderful thing. That's a great part of conflict resolution. We're going to talk about that in the series. That's a really good thing. But the downfall is if this is your response to conflict every time, it can actually lead to unhealthy relationships because you'll find yourself never really dealing with the issue. And furthermore, in fact, I would just tell you that I have found in my short experience as a pastor for the past 10 years, I have found that usually at the heart of an enabling relationship, so a relationship where one person enables hurtful or harmful behavior in another person that's destructive to themselves and to others, usually at the heart of those relationships is someone who appeases, who just says, I'll just make it better. I'll just make it right. Okay, so fight, flight, appease, now, before we look at the fourth one, let me just check in. I want to see how you guys are doing. Um, how many of you right now would say that of these three, that you, you, you can kind of relate to one or some of them? Show of hands. How many would say, yeah, probably. Okay, that's most of us. Okay, so if you didn't raise your hand, we're all just going to go ahead and assume you're in the fourth category, all right? So you don't even need to raise your hand. We already got it, all right? And here it is. Here's the fourth category. Deny, all right? Deny. You are in denial, which I wouldn't. I wouldn't ask you to raise your hand anyway, because if I was like, hey, raise your hand if you're in denial, you'd be like, I'm not in denial, this guy's an idiot, you know, whatever. So, but, but deny, what is deny? Well, I think all of us understand what denial is, right? Denial is, is, is man, nothing's wrong, nothing's wrong. Like, man, can we, can we just talk about what happened? Because it seems like that, you know, there's a lot of tension and we got in this big argument. Can we talk about what happened? Nothing to talk about. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm fine. Are you, because you didn't seem fine when we were talking yesterday. No, I'm fine, right? I'm fine. And you're like, whoa, where's this coming from? And, and maybe for you, this is your natural response is you just deny, deny, shove it down, pretend like nothing happened. Let's just keep going like nothing ever happened. Now, the plus side to this, I believe that if this is your natural response to conflict, you actually have good intentions. And I think that your intentions are probably that, that you're just, you just wanna shrug it off. You're just like, you know what, let's just, let's not make a big deal of it. Let's just get over it. Let's just, and by the way, I think that that's actually a good, in some cases in conflict, but we're going to talk about this in weeks to come. In some cases, it is the right thing to overlook an offense in some cases. However, the downside is if you continually deny and deny and deny and push down and push down and pretend that nothing's wrong, nothing's wrong. We all know how this ends, Right? You keep sweeping stuff under the rug, keep sweeping stuff under the rug. What's gonna happen is gonna be a big lump and you're gonna trip over it and so are other people. If you keep shoving it down, shoving it down, shoving it down, what's gonna happen? We all know this. It's all eventually going to blow up and out 
and God be with the person that that grenade goes off on. And, and I think we've all seen this play out. So again, my question is, how do you naturally and kind of, uh, kind of what is your, your kind of gut reaction to conflict? And my guess is you probably can relate to one of these or even some of these. Maybe on different occasions you can relate to some of these. Now, here's my suspicion. I actually have a suspicion, maybe an assumption here this morning. And, uh, and I could be wrong about this, so I might be absolutely off base. But my guess is, my suspicion is, that many of us in this room, in fact, I'll even say it this way, I believe that most of us in this room, probably not all of us, but my guess is that for most of us in this room, the way that we, we, we react and respond to conflict has not something that, has, that, that someone has taught us. No one has taught us how to respond to conflict. That, that's my kind of suspicion. No one's ever taught us that. My suspicion, my assumption is that the way that you respond to conflict hasn't been taught, but it's been caught. That in other words, no one ever sat down and told you this is how you respond. It never taught you how to respond to conflict. You just kind of caught how to respond to conflict. And, and here's what I mean by that. My assumption is that the way that you respond to conflict most likely is probably either a direct response to or a reaction against the model that you saw growing up. And so the way that your parents reacted or responded to conflict or the way that your family responded or reacted to conflict or didn't respond to conflict or your guardians responded to conflict, my guess is that you, you didn't, they didn't sit down and teach you that. You just kind of caught it. And so maybe you responded the same way. So for example, my guess is, I'm just going on a limb here, that if you're a fighter, like if I asked you, how do you respond? You're like, oh, I fight, man. Or I just, I raise my voice. I make my point. I got to come back and say I'm sorry when I'm done for the things I said that I regret. My guess is your parents were probably that way. It's probably the way your family dealt with stuff, right? Or, or maybe this, maybe your parents were fighters and they would go after you, they'd yell at each other and they would do the whole thing and you reacted against that. And so you said, I don't know how to resolve conflict, but I'm not doing it that way. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fly, I'm going to avoid conflict. And my guess is that no one actually taught you that. It was something that you caught. And here's what's so fascinating. If you're, if you're a married person, you probably found that when the two of you entered into marriage, that you both had a very different upbringing and a very different way to deal with conflict. And chances are good that one of the biggest sources of conflict in your marriage, at least early on and maybe even now, was the way you dealt with conflict and you found that you're not even really fighting about an issue, you're actually fighting about the way that you fight. And, and, so, and so here's my proposal to you. And, th and this should be, of course, no surprise to anyone in this room because we're at a church and you probably saw this coming. But my proposal is this, is that what the Bible teaches about conflict resolution is both categorically different than the four responses we just looked at a moment ago. Categorically different. And at the same time, what I want to propose to you is that what the Bible teaches about conflict resolution has the power to absolutely revolutionize your relationships. It has the power to absolutely revolutionize the way you view conflict in your marriage, in your friendships, in your church, in, your, in, your, you know, where, in every relationship. I believe that what the Bible teaches has the power, the power to utterly revolutionize your relationships for the better. So that's why I get really excited about this series. And furthermore, furthermore, and this is so important, this is so important. I believe that our unresolved conflict that we are facing in our lives right now and or our inability to resolve conflict in a healthy way 
is actually costing us. And it's costing us more than we might initially realize. Now, let me just say that again, because you guys, this is so important. And again, this is why I get so passionate. I'm so excited about this series. Because, and let me just say, say, it, say it one more time, because I want you to catch this. Our unresolved conflict, your unresolved conflict, my unresolved, the, the unresolved issue that is in your life right now with that person or that family member or in your marriage or whatever, and or our inability to resolve conflict in a healthy way. Listen, this is so important. It's costing you. It's costing me. It's costing us. And it's costing us more than we might recognize. And like I said, this is why I get so passionate about this conversation because I genuinely believe that God wants something for us, that God loves us and God wants peace for us. God wants joy. He wants reconciliation for us. And that conflict, unresolved conflict is a hindrance that keeps us from the good things that God desires for us. And so that's why I think this, this conversation is so, so important. Now, some of you might be thinking, okay, so my, my unresolved conflict is costing me, huh? So what's it costing me? What's it costing me? All right, well, let me help you out. I'll actually give you a few things right from the Bible. First and foremost, what unresolved conflict or what the inability to resolve conflict in a healthy way is costing us is it's costing us our personal wellness. Let's just start here. It's costing you personally. It's costing you personally, your personal wellness. Another way to say it would be, it's costing you, it's costing me a right relationship with myself, a right relationship with yourself. That, you're like, what do you mean by that? Well, listen, I don't think I need to spend a whole lot of time building a case to convince you that when you have unresolved conflict in your life, that when you have estranged relationships and bitterness and resentment that's harbored in your heart, that that is costing you personal health and joy and satisfaction and fulfillment. I probably don't need to convince you. My guess is you probably know that. That when you're bitter and when you're resentful, you're full of anxiety, you're full of frustration, and that's not good for you. That's not good for you. And it's costing you joy and it's costing you um, happiness and things that God really, really, really desires for you. Peace, right? Let me show you a couple passages. James uh, by the way, James was the little brother of Jesus. I want you to notice what he says in the book of James chapter three. He says, for where you have envy and strife. All right, so let's just talk about that for a minute. Envy and strife, by the way, is kind of a bible way of saying conflict. In fact, the word strife is also translated conflict. So he says, where you have envy and conflict, which envy is a lot of times the root of conflict. He says, where you have envy and conflict. Now notice what he says next. There you're gonna find disorder, and every evil practice, disorder. Now, I thought this was so insightful. When you look at the word disorder and you look back at it in its original language, in the original Greek language, the word disorder literally means instability. Sometimes it's translated confusion. Here's the idea, dysfunction. Disorder, instability, and dysfunction. So what's James saying? You gotta catch this. This is really important. Here's what he's saying. He says, where in your life you find disorder, and you find instability, and you find dysfunction, James says it's real easy, you can do the math, and usually at the root of disorder and instability and dysfunction in your life and your relationships is conflict. And, and more specifically, unresolved conflict that you allow to remain that way. And notice what else he says. He says, and every evil practice. What's that talking about, evil practice? What that's talking about is the hurtful and harmful behaviors we enact towards ourselves and towards others. So you see what James is saying? The things that you do to harm and harm yourself and to hurt and to harm other people, 
He says, if you look at those things and you dig down to the root cause of why is it that I'm doing this to myself? Why is it that I'm doing this to another person? He says, it's pretty easy. You can just look and there you're gonna find that the root of that is conflict, envy, strife, unresolved conflict, and it's costing you. It's costing you. Dysfunction and disorder is costing you health and happiness and wellness that God desires for you. I love the way the apostle Paul puts it in the book of Ephesians chapter four, here's what he says. He says, in your anger, do not sin. It's a great verse, by the way. Is it a sin to be angry? No, not a, not a sin to be angry. In your anger, do not sin. But notice what he says next. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Now, what is he talking about there? Don't let the sun go down when you're angry. He's talking about unresolved conflict, right? He says, don't let, don't let conflict go unresolved. Don't go to bed when you're still mad. Don't, don't, don't allow this thing to persist over time. Don't bury it down inside and not deal with it. By the way, if you're a married person or if you're in a relationship right now, I think this is a really, really great verse to have committed to memory. Uh, in fact, my wife and I, we've been married now, it'll be 11 years coming up here in March, which is crazy to think about. And I'll just tell you, our first couple years of marriage, conflict was a big issue for us that we had to try to work through. It still is an issue, but especially in the early years it was. But early on, we actually made an agreement to each other that we said, we wanna actually live out this verse. And so we're, we, we are not gonna go to bed until the conflict is resolved. We're not gonna go to bed angry with each other with unresolved conflict. I gotta tell you, it's been really helpful for us. I think we've stuck to it pretty good. Now, mind you, there've been times we haven't slept for three months, but uh, it's ended up working out pretty good for us. And that's a joke, by the way. Sorry, guys, these are the jokes. This is as good as it gets right here. So, so it's good. But, but he, what is he saying? He's saying, don't let conflict remain unresolved. Now, do you notice what's at stake? Why, he says not to. Look, it's interesting. He says, and don't give the devil a foothold. Boy, that's interesting. What's he mean by that? I want you guys to, 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 to follow Paul's logic. Here's what he says. The apostle Paul says, this is so important, unresolved conflict in our lives is actually allowing and giving access to the enemy in our relationships. Are you catch that? He says, man, when you, when you allow conflict to remain unresolved, you're allowing a foothold for the enemy into your relationships. I don't know if this is helpful for you. This is really helpful for me. The imagery that comes to my mind when it talks about the devil getting a foothold is I think about climbing a tree. I don't know if that's helpful to you, but I think about like my kids climbing trees or you know, if you ever climb a tree, what's the first thing you do when you climb a tree? You grab a branch and you try to leverage yourself up and you try to establish a foothold. You try to find a place where you can put your foot down, you can leverage your weight so you can hoist yourself up. So that way you have access to that tree. You can climb up in that tree. You can establish a place in that tree. If you can't get a foothold, you're gonna move on to a different tree because it's not a good climbing tree. And here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, when you have unresolved conflict in your life or when you're not dealing with conflict in a healthy way, he says, essentially what you're doing is you're giving the enemy a boost. You're like, here, here, put your foot here. And I wanna allow the enemy to have access here. Come on up. Why don't you come on up into my marriage? Why don't you come on up into my friendships? Why don't you come on up? Why don't you come on up here into my church in our life group? And so you see, there, there's a lot at stake here. There's a lot that it's costing us. And one of the things that's costing us is our personal wellness. Unresolved conflict costs us personal wellness. But that's not all. That's not all. Because the Bible is also gonna tell us not only does unresolved conflict or the inability to resolve conflict in a healthy way cost us personal wellness, it also costs us relational wholeness. It costs us a right relationship with each other, a right relationship with others. 
I actually really love the way the writer of Hebrews puts this. The writer of Hebrews says this. He says, make every effort to live at peace with everyone. And let me just, before we look at the rest of this verse, I think we have to stop there for a second. And I just want, to, I want you to notice the strength of language that he uses here. Make every effort, right? What is he saying? Exhaust every resource that you have to make peace with everyone. This is actually reminiscent of another uh, verse in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. The apostle Paul says, if possible, as long as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, see, even the Bible recognizes not everyone will let you live at peace with them. Some people won't be reconciled with. We're gonna talk about that in the weeks to come. But what the Bible says is this. It says, but as much as it depends on you, you need to make peace, make every effort, exhaust every effort to make peace. Now, why? Why? Why should we do that? Well, notice what he says. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up and causes trouble and defiles many. So you see what he says. There's a reason you gotta make peace. The reason you gotta be, man, you gotta be proactive about this. You have to go after it. As he says, because if you don't, there's gonna be a bitter root that's gonna grow up. And when bitterness takes root in your heart, he says it's gonna grow and it's gonna cause trouble. And then notice this, it's gonna defile, notice, many. Not just you, it's gonna defile many. It's gonna cause trouble in the lives of all of the relationships that you encounter horizontally, right? I think it's interesting, the word defile that's used here, if you take it back to the Greek language, the, the word defile literally is the same word that we get the English word contaminate from. So what's he saying? He's saying bitterness contaminates a right relationship that we have with other people, a right relationship with other people. And so what do we do when there's a bitter root in our heart? Do we bury it? No, man, we dig it up and we burn it. That's why he says, make every effort to be at peace with others. Now listen, this is so important. So I want you to look up here for a second because I want you to catch this, all right? Listen to me. Your ability, your ability to relate to others in a healthy, loving, God-honoring, productive way is directly contingent upon your ability to resolve conflict. And let me just say that again because this is so, so important. Your ability, my ability, our ability to relate to others in a healthy, loving, life-giving way is directly tied to our ability to resolve conflict. And by the way, I'll tell you the opposite is true too. The opposite is true. You show me someone who does not resolve conflict well and in a healthy way, I'll show you a person that leaves behind them a wake of broken relationships. I'm just telling you, God wants something for us in this and it's costing us, it's costing us not only personal wellness, but relational harmony. And by the way, on this point, let me just mention that if you're a parent, and I know not everyone in here has kids, but if you have kids, man, you guys know, we just talked about this a second ago. Our kids are always watching us and they're observing us. And listen, the way that you respond to conflict, they're, they're, they're watching and they're catching that. So much more is caught than taught, right? And so if you are a critical, defensive, unapproachable, easily angered, blast you on Facebook, talk to everyone else and gossip about you but not talk to you kind of person, like your kids are gonna catch that. And chances are good, they're gonna inherit that. 
And chances are good that if they inherit those skills, they're gonna take those into their relationships and that could potentially cause problems in their marriage and in their friendships and whatever. And the opposite is true too. Just think about it for a minute. If you can approach conflict in a healthy and gracious way, you can be leaving your kids an inheritance that will reap rewards in their marriages and in their friendships and in their life. It's a, it's a beautiful thing you can give to your kids. And so if you think unresolved conflict is simply affecting you, you're wrong. It's not. There's a lot of things at stake. Personal wellness, relational wholeness. I'll give you one more. One more. And to me, this one is the most important. It's the biggest deal. It's probably the one that's most detrimental. And that's this. It's also costing us spiritual rightness. And what do I mean by that? A right relationship with God. Now, let me just talk to those who follow Jesus for a minute. So I know, I know that not everyone in this room today follows Jesus. Some of you might still be investigating the whole Jesus thing. And by the way, if you're a person investigating Christ, we, we, we say this seriously almost every week. We genuinely count it an absolute privilege that you would allow us to be part of your investigation. And you could do anything you want with a Sunday morning, but you're, you're a church and you're investigating Christ and we just think that that's awesome. And, and we're... Um, we're excited to be part of that investigation. But for those of us who follow Christ, who follow Jesus, I think at the very top of our list of things to pursue in 2018 ought to be healthy conflict resolution. And here's why. Man, all over the Bible, the Bible explains how our horizontal relationships with each other have a direct bearing on our vertical relationship with God. And it's all over the Bible. Let me just show you a couple examples. In 1 John 4, look at, John, look at what John says. This is so strong. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. That's strong. That's strong. Then look, for whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. You see what, you see what John is saying? He says, look, if, if you come in here, if, you know, if you're a follower of Jesus and we come in here, we're like, I love God, man, I love God. Love Jesus. I sing the Jesus songs. I love God. But you're like, but I hate that guy. I hate that guy. I can't stand that person. That girl's an idiot. That guy, that guy's a dummy. That person's a diphthong. I don't even know what that is, right? But you're just like, man, this is... The Bible would look and say, uh, there's a very serious disconnect that's happening in your heart. And you have, a, you have sorely misunderstood what it means to have a genuine and authentic faith in God because our vertical relationships with each other are a reflection of and have a direct bearing on our vertical relationship that we have with God. And so it's important that we realize that there's a connection between. I don't know if you guys knew this. Did you know that in the book of 1 Peter, Peter, who was a disciple of Jesus, do you know that he actually said that husbands, the way that we treat our wives has a direct correlation to God's inclination to hear our prayers. So the Bible says that if we treat our wives harshly, God is not going to listen to our prayers, which is fascinating to me because I think what he's saying is if you have broken relationships with other people and you're allowing that to persist, unforgiveness and bitterness and those type of things, and you're treating people harshly and you're calling people dumb and you hate people, and then you come to God and you're like, God, would you listen to me? God's like, I'm not listening to you. I'm not listening to you. Because our horizontal relationships have a bearing on our vertical relationships. You know, even Jesus said this. I'll show you what Jesus said in a very famous passage in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, therefore, if you're offering your gift on the altar 
And there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. And now let me just pause there and explain what Jesus is talking about here. So Jesus is actually referring to the way that people used to worship back in this time. So the way you would worship is you would actually bring an offering to the temple in Jerusalem. It's the way people would worship God uh, back in Jesus' time. So Jesus says, basically, when you go to worship, if you bring an offering and you go to worship at the temple, he says, and then you remember, like, oh, I remember. He's like, there was an issue that your brother or sister has something against you. Uh, There's unresolved conflict between the two of you. Notice what he says. Leave your gift. Leave it. Go and reconcile that person. Go reconcile to them and then come back. Then come back. And then you can finish your worship. So do you guys see what Jesus is saying? You guys, this is a really, really big deal. Here's what Jesus is essentially saying. He's saying reconciliation takes priority over worship. See, once again, man, I think for those of us who follow Christ, this is really important because we can come and maybe for you, you're a faithful church goer, right? You go to church, you go to life group, and we sing, and, and maybe you even give to the church, and you offer things to God. And God would actually look, and he would say, yeah, that, that's all fine and good, but if you have broken relationships or if there's something that you have uh, against someone else and that's not dealt with, he says, man, reconciliation takes priority even over worship, and so you should go. You should leave and you should go reconcile to that person. And by the way, if you leave the service early today, we'll all know why, okay, and we'll be cool with that. Some of you are like, no, man, I just really have to go to the bathroom, and that's cool too, but, uh, but no, you see, what he, this, this is important. You see how important this is to God? This is important to God. He says, I, I want you to, see, for some of us, you, may, maybe for you, your relationship with God has been cold and has been dissonant and has been stale for some time, and you cannot figure out why that is. You're like, man, I go to church, and I read the Bible, and I'm, could it be that maybe one of the reasons that your relationship with God has grown so stale and so cold is because of this? This unresolved conflict that's a barrier that's keeping you from a right relationship with God. And, and by the way, on, on, this, on this point, I'll just say one more thing. For those of us who follow Jesus, and again, not everyone follows Jesus, so if you don't follow Christ, you can just listen, you can just listen in on this part. But for those of us who follow Christ, one of the things that's at stake for us in unresolved conflict is our evangelistic effectiveness. You're like, what do you mean by that? Here's what I mean. John 17, Jesus says, the world will know that the Father has sent me. In other words, he says, the reason, the way that the world is gonna know that the message of the gospel is real, Jesus says, is by our unity which is really interesting because you would almost think that Jesus would say that the, the best way that the world is gonna know that I'm real is by giving them some very strong intellectual apologetic. That's not what he says. Jesus says that the strongest apologetic, the, 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 the most compelling reason that people will believe that the Christian faith is real is because of our harmony, the unity that we have with one another, our ability to resolve conflict in a healthy and life-giving way. See, and the truth is that when we have unresolved conflict or when we, re- when we will not resolve conflict in healthy ways, it's actually costing the gospel credibility because what happens is we look at the world and we tell the world there is a message of a God who has come to reconcile sinners to himself and we give this message of reconciliation but then we live a life of broken relationships and there's an incongruency between the way we live our lives and the message that we preach and people are like, uh-uh. And so there's, I can just go on and on. You guys get it. There's a lot at stake. There's a lot at stake as it relates to conflict and conflict resolution, which once again, man, is why I'm so passionate about 
taking these next weeks to talk through this series. And my guess is, my guess is that about this point in the conversation, that for some of you, you might be thinking to yourself, man, wow, you know, I, yeah, I agree. And I never really thought about it that way. And this is all really interesting. But my guess is you probably have a ton of questions as well. A ton of questions, maybe even a ton, a ton of, of hesitations and maybe even some objections at this point. And some of you right now, you might be thinking, yeah, but what about, and, and what do I do if, and when am I supposed to, and how do I, and, but you don't know my situation. And, and look, I get all that. I get all that. There's objections, and there's questions, and there's thoughts, and all that is fine. But let me just tell you what I'm, we're hoping to do for the next six weeks. Like I said, this is an introduction. And so for the next six weeks, here's what we're going to do together, okay? We are going to walk together through eight steps to conflict resolution, eight very practical, straightforward steps to conflict resolution over the next six weeks we're gonna do that together. And by the way, these eight steps we're gonna look at, I didn't just like make these up. I wasn't just like in my office going like, oh, that sounds good. I didn't get these off of BuzzFeed. These I actually got right out of the Bible. In fact, um, the reason that we, we've kind of bounced around looking at different passages of the Bible today, we usually just look at one passage of the Bible when we get together. And the reason we kind of did that today is because for the next six weeks, we're primarily gonna look at one passage of the Bible. And so we're gonna look at Matthew chapter 18. And Matthew chapter 18, the whole chapter, I am completely convinced, is all about conflict resolution. And it is directly from the mouth of Jesus. It's Jesus' teaching on conflict resolution. And I believe that in that teaching, we're gonna find eight steps, very practical steps to conflict resolution. Here's what we're gonna find. I believe here's what we're gonna find in this series. I believe we're gonna find that what Jesus has to say is, uh, first off, some of it's really surprising. I think you're actually gonna be surprised at some of what Jesus says about confronting conflict. I know I was. And the other thing I think you're gonna find is this, and this isn't surprising, that it's gonna be a little stretching and it's gonna be a little challenging. And at points, it might make you a little uncomfortable. But like I said, I believe that it has the power to utterly transform your relationships and utterly transform uh, the things that God wants you to pursue in personal wellness, in relational harmony, in relational wholeness, and in spiritual rightness. I'm ask the band to come up. And uh, as they make their way up, I, I wanna just, I wanna end by um, actually doing something today that we, we almost never do here at the Medina East Campus. And so if you're a guest, this might seem kind of weird to you, but the good news is we don't ever do this. So that's, that's totally fine. But I actually wanna ask you, would you right now, would you bow, would everyone just bow your heads and close your eyes? Right, just bow your heads and close your eyes. We never do this. Don't look around or anything, there's just, there's no reason, but just bow your heads and close your eyes. And here's what I wanna ask you, okay? If in the course of our conversation today, the Lord has been stirring in your heart that there is a person or there is a situation in your life right now where there is unresolved conflict and God is just bringing that to your attention, just do me a favor, would you just put your hand up, just put it up right now. Don't be shy, man, God knows. He's not like, God knows. All right, great, you guys put your hands down. Look up here for a minute. All right, guys, I'm just gonna tell you, about 85% of the room here raised their hand, and that's been true across all four services. 85%. Now, I just want to, now, here's what I just want you to think. If everything we said today is true, personal wellness, it's costing us, relational wholeness, spiritual rightness, can you just for a second imagine with me, just imagine what God might have in store if even just in this room, we started to pursue healthy ways to resolve conflict in our life, imagine what God could do. 
Imagine. Imagine the peace that he has in store for you, the joy that he has in store. Imagine the relational, imagine friendships that have been estranged for years reconciled. Imagine family members, past hurts and frustrations finally put behind you. Imagine, mar imagine marriages healed, strengthened. Imagine million dollar lawsuits stopped. I'll just tell you guys, I've actually been praying, and I know some of you have been praying for this series too. I've actually been praying for this series. And I've been praying that God would use this series and would use Matthew chapter 18 to heal and to save marriages, to heal and to save relationships, to prohibit and stop lawsuits, to glorify himself and bring unity to his church. And I just tell you, some of you might think, man, that sounds like a tall order, but I believe it. I believe it. And I believe that God's word is that powerful and what Jesus teaches on this has the potential to utterly transform our relationships. So let me just give you, I'm gonna give you two takeaways today. Very, very simple for everyone in the room. Okay, so number one, here's, the, here's my challenge for you this week. I wanna challenge you, would you read Matthew 18 this week? Read it. Maybe you never read the Bible. Maybe you've never opened a Bible. Maybe you don't even know what Matthew is. It's in the Bible. And just find a Bible, and if you don't have a Bible, take one of ours. You can just take one home. Take one of our black hardback Bibles home and read Matthew 18. And the reason is because, like I said, we're gonna spend the next six weeks going verse by verse through this book. And so I just want you to familiarize yourself with it. Familiarize, read through Matthew 18. And if you have any questions, jot them down, jot them down, because we're actually gonna have opportunities in this series for you to ask questions as well. And then here's the second thing. I want you to prioritize, if you would, the, the Resolve series. So whether you go here or not, or you're a guest here or whatever, would you prioritize this? Would you say, you know what? I, I, I'm just gonna make a commitment that I'm gonna lock in for the next six weeks through this series. I wanna hear the whole thing all the way through. Doesn't matter if it's negative 40 degrees out, I'm still coming and, uh, and we're gonna go for it. It doesn't matter if I'm out of town, I'll lock in uh, via podcast or on the website or whatever. But like I said, I just think, I think there's so much power in this conversation. I don't want you to miss the whole thing and hearing what God has to say. All right. Let's pray together. Yeah, God, well, we just, uh, man, we just wanna say thank you, God, that you, you love us a lot and you love every person in this room so much that you want something for us, God. You don't want, you don't want something from us in this. You want something for us in this. God, how, how much you want us to have joy and peace and fulfillment in this life and how much you desire us to have right relationships with each other. God, how much you desire for us to have a right relationship with you. And the truth is that unresolved conflict and the inability to resolve conflict in healthy ways is a barrier that hinders us from experiencing the fullness of life that you desire for us. God, help us not to forfeit that. And so, God, I pray that even now as we begin this series, would you give us humility in our hearts and a receptivity of our spirit to be able to hear from you. God, I do pray. I pray you would heal broken things. I pray that you'd heal uh, hurting marriages, broken marriages, broken relationships, estranged relationships. God, would you by your spirit and by your power do that? And so God, we come into this with great expectations. And Father, I just say thank you for each person who's here today. I pray that they'd be blessed for having heard what they heard, and I pray that we'd live differently as a result of it. We pray these things in Christ's name.